folks, Jeff here. Welcome back to part two of The Soul of Jazz, my conversation with integral music critic Greg Thomas. In part one, Greg led us through the early history of jazz from its roots in New Orleans over 100 years ago through the modern jazz movement in the mid-20th century. In part two, we pick up the story and carry it through to the contemporary expression of this uniquely American art form. Thanks again for listening. I actually want to get started with the next cut. We, cool. we haven't heard any vocalists other than, than Louis Armstrong scatting earlier. Yes. And there's an incredible vocal tradition in jazz. Um, you know, on the female side, from uh, Bessie Smith and the blues, Ma Rainey and the blues, but the first great um, female jazz singer, I think, undoubtedly, is Bessie, um, is uh, Billie Holiday. Um, then you have Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, uh, Dinah Washington, uh, and you know, from a, a, another generation, you've got Colin McRae, who we're going to hear, uh, Betty Carter, uh, and and so many others. And there's a you know a male uh, a list that I could I could certainly give you. But one of the things I want to point out that's so important about the vocal tradition in jazz, and Heine gets it relates to these independent or interdependent, I should say, polarities. In jazz, instrumentalists want to be able to play as well as a, a great singer sings, mm-hmm. but the singers want to be able to sing and do what they do vocally within the jazz context, like the great instrumentalists. There's that 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 interplay that you have, and that comes through particularly in scatting, in jazz. But let's hear a ballad. I'm going to go away from the blues, though the blues is never too far away from jazz. This is Body and Soul, and I'd like you to go ahead and start it. That is uh, a song famous in jazz through an interpretation by Coleman Hawkins, who I mentioned earlier. He did a very famous. Interpretation of body and soul. But this is mature Con McRae at a live jazz festival, uh, singing body and soul with such poignancy and emotional depth. Is that lonely? For I have lost my one and only. Why haven't you seen it? I'm all for you, body and soul. I spend my days in longing and wondering why. It is me you're wronging. I tell you, I mean it. I am for you, mm, body and soul. I can't believe it. It's to conceive it that you'd turn away romance are you pretending or is this the ending please give me one more chance to prove My life a hell you're making You know, you know, you know I'm yours (laughs) For just the taking I gladly surrender myself 
I just watched the YouTube as she was singing, and oh my goodness gracious, I, I feel lit up from the belly chakra up through the solar plexus to the heart to the throat. Yes, um, yes, because it's all there. Yeah, and it's so uh, somatic. Yes, absolutely. The body is is so so important. Yeah, uh, 
it's through the body that, the, that this is expressed, the voice. And what I call in jazz the hermeneutic imperative. There's a, there's a, there's an imperative to interpret songs in your own style. Yeah. So it's not about, it, it's not about just what's written on, on the page. What's written on the page or the, the form of the song is a jumping off point for you to put your own interpretive stamp on it. That's the individuality in the music. So that within the, the, the early years to it, to at least uh, the 60s, you would say that there was a, a value in jazz that you needed to have your own voice. Yeah. It wasn't about how well you could play like someone else. It's not about how well you could mimic you Ken could Wilson. You could conform to a form. Right. Right. Yeah. So you put your own stamp on it. I mean, each of us, our fingerprints are singular. No one's fingerprint is the same. Yeah. Right? What well, goes so, back to that polarity we were talking about. You know, the, the, she's using the human voice. She's singing in a band. There's the song with words. It's music. So, you know, there's all that. But then it's Carmen McRae. Right. You know, exactly. in, in her old age, actually. I mean, I'm watching this. She's, right. you know, God bless her, 30-plus pounds overweight. She's right. old. She's right. wearing a sweatshirt. She's right. at this outdoor concert. She has her sunglasses in the back of her uh, up in her, you know, ha hair. Mm -hmm. She, you know, and and it's in Japan for God's sake. So, <laughs> you know, these Japanese people <laughs> are breaking into spontaneous applause, not right. at some big histrionic, you know, uh, climax, right. but at this super cool transmission right. of the human condition. Yes. Oh my God. Exactly. I couldn't said I couldn't have said it better myself, but I think <laughs> I won't try. <laughs> which, well, go, let's just then move on to the next. Yes, which is okay. So we we said that bebop was called actually you know modern jazz. Uh, then you have different variations. Uh, you know after bebop, you know I mentioned cool jazz. Uh, I mentioned hard bop. You have modal jazz, which instead of as in bebop, you would have songs based on the blues. You have songs based on the 32-bar form where George Gershwin's I Got Rhythm, the A-A-B-A -A -A structure was predominant. Uh, modal jazz actually only had a few chords, and then you would create improvisation melodies around those few chords. I mean, modal jazz goes back to modes like Dorian, Phrygian, Mixolydian. That's an early part of Western music. So they use these different forms. Well, there became a movement from the late 50s, um, and there was an album by Ornette Coleman, who actually just passed away this past June, he was 85, called Free Jazz, and where the, the melodic, rhythmic, the formal structures of the music previously became uh, too confining to some people. So they wanted to break out of that. So in part, this is like a postmodern response to the modern. Now, what we're going to hear, you still will hear, this is a song that he did in the late 50s called Ramblin'. And, and Ornette is from, um, he was from, where was Ornette from? He was from Fort Worth, Texas. Colin McCray was from Harlem. John Coltrane is from North, North Carolina. I like, like to position people where they're from. Yeah. Um, so you're going to hear, you know, small group, you're still going to hear some of those fundamental structural elements that we've heard, but his style of improvisation and the trumpet player style of improvisation is breaking free still from some of those strictures. So this is Ornette Coleman rambling. <laughs>
Um, this is the beginnings of what became free jazz, where they start to break free from some of the structures that uh, many felt were, were too limiting for them. Yeah. Um, you have other players like Cecil Taylor on piano and, and Anthony Braxton. Uh, who not only played a style that was derived from jazz, but they incorporated all kinds of things, and some of it you couldn't even classify. Yeah. Some of it was, was atonal. <clears throat> when I was listening to it, I was thinking that, that some of it's not musical in the way that we would normally think of it. It was actually sort of like talking, growling. You know, absolutely, there was a sort of a... Absolutely. I mean, the conversational piece, the, the growling, uh, that's, that's a part of... of, of Afro-American speech patterns that you find in the music. You find that from hmm. from Bubba Miley with Duke Ellington back in the 20s, that growl. Hmm. But, but, so, so it has those connections, but for me, the, you know, the qualities that I heard, I heard a playfulness. I heard yeah. whimsy. You know? Yeah. But the Blues Foundation was there, but again, it's like, the, it's the, some of the, the, um, the structures they didn't want to be as bounded by. I talked to Rashid Ali, who was a great, great drummer who played with John Coltrane in John Coltrane's late years, who John Coltrane passed away in 1967. And I asked Rashid Ali, I said, well, what's, what's free jazz mean? He says, it's open. It's open. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, so, to me, when I listen to it, I think, okay, the, the era, this is 1959-60. So this is the Mad Men era. You know, mm. if we think of what the, where the culture was going through, the mm-hmm. organization man, the button down, the suits. Right. But there's this, you know, this is where they go after work, or this is where they go after dark. Mm-hmm. Is into these clubs where there's a sort of a, it's a, it feels sophisticated to me yes. in a way that the earlier music didn't, almost to the sense of where I'd say it, it's beginning to get green. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I said. This is, for me, um, and what we're going to hear is a cut from uh, a composition that he wrote called Queen Suite, which he composed for Queen Elizabeth. Now, he's Duke Ellington you know, composing for a queen. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Duke is from, from Washington, D.C., and he, his father actually um, um, was a butler in the White House, if I'm not mistaken. And so there was this whole kind of aristocratic thing with Duke from very early on, a certain elegance. Hmm. And this particular song that we hear, Sunset and the Mockingbird, uh, where you hear this, not only do you hear the elegance, but think of the, the, the title, Sunset and the Mockingbird. So think of a sunset and of a mockingbird and listen to the intersection of the parts it's just, I think it's stunning. And then Johnny Hodges on alto saxophone, the first great alto player in jazz before Charlie Parker. Check this out. Wow. Cool. Here we go.
towards postmodern. Yeah, exactly. It has a coolness, yeah. a sophistication, a, a world weariness, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but still a energy and a juice. You know, absolutely. And when you look at when did postmodernism really implant itself? It's the sixties. Yeah. And so also, I would say, Greg, a sexiness. For the first <laughs> time yeah, in, in all of the music, well, Carbon McRae, uh, sexy too. Okay. But right. but this is really groovy sexy. I hear you. Yeah, I agree. And you want to hear groovy sexy, the next cut, <laughs> I mean, we, couldn't, we, we couldn't go through listening to, you know, going over some history of jazz without hearing some Duke Ellington. Yeah. Now, Duke, for me, is truly a representative of Integral. He actually has a mm. composition called Floating on a Turquoise Cloud. Wow. Dig that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so because he is someone who, in his individuality, he was never confined to a particular style in jazz. He incorporated the various style, but it was still Duke. And when he composed, he composed for the individuals in his band. And he, whatever period it is, it's always Duke. It would be like Duke would, you know, during the 40s or early 50s, he said, oh, bebop, oh yeah, okay. So then he'd he'd play a bebop song, you know what I mean? He could go back to the 20s. You have a, a, a great Chicago uh, based uh, piano player and bandley named Sun Ra, who definitely uh, is, is postmodern. Um, but he's someone who, as out, as they call it, that's one of the ways they call uh, free jazz, out, as out as, his, as he and his band could play, he would always go back and also play some Fletcher Henderson. Hmm. There's always a continuity of some that sometimes people break it and you can know, and, and you might not even hear a connection to jazz. Well, that's okay too. But uh, with Duke Ellington, he, you don't confine Duke to a style. Um, he respects and, and incorporates the various, uh, whether it's traditional, modern, postmodern. You can find all of that in Duke. Duke um, was the greatest composer in, in jazz history and, and most likely American history, where American, Americanness, American democracy, um, the sounds and textures of America are probably found best in Duke Ellington's music were blown <laughs> away by R. Tatum. Yeah. Um, there were some great classical pianists who said, oh my God, if this guy decides to go in our field, it's over. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Well, Joe Pass is, is like that on, on guitar. No kidding. And th- as you said, this is just the standard, night and day. Right. So this all my life, and night and day, you are the one. Right. You know, I know this song. Right. But oh my God, right. what he does! And with others it. will too. We should just hear this. Let's, let's go right for it.
<laughs> blown away by Art Tatum. Yeah. Um, there were some great classical pianists who said, oh, my God, if this guy decides to go in our field, it's over. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Well, Joe Pass is, is like that on, on guitar. No kidding. And th- as you said, this is just the standard, night and day. Right. So uh, all my night life, and night and day, you are the one. Right. You know, I know this song. Right. But, oh, my God, right. what he does. And others it. will, too. We should just hear this. Let's, let's go right for it. Just one guitarist and one guitar, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's what they, uh, the great Oscar Peterson. I see Joe Pass is also known for playing an Oscar Peterson trio. Uh, he also did duets with Ella Fitzgerald, and, and so he accompanied wonderfully, too. Uh, but Oscar Peterson, speaking of, of Art Tatum, when Oscar Peterson uh, was a teenager, he was a prodigy virtuoso at a young age uh, but he got kind of full of himself so his father that's Oscar Peterson's father he actually put on Art Tatum for Oscar Peterson and he said my god no that's got to be two pianos right that's got to be two no so before you get too big for your britches son you got a ways to go young man you know that kind of thing Um, but Joe Pass I mean my god 
virtuoso is almost an understatement. No, it's true, isn't it? I mean, I've played guitar, and I've played that kind of guitar. Mm. I mean, I played that kind of guitar seriously uh, in mm. my teens, and oh my God, how he right. does that. It's like, it, it's nothing that I even approached. And, it, it, you know, it's it's almost the melding of guitar and person into one thing. Absolutely. You know. The great Sonny Rollins, who we're going to hear in the next composition we hear, um, I interviewed him once. Uh, he's, uh, Sonny is, uh, he's, I think, now in his mid-80s, um, the, the greatest living uh, jazz saxophonist, period. Um, after, in terms of tenor sax lineage, it's, it's Coleman Hawkins, Lester Young, John Coltrane, Sonny Rollins. That's probably probably the Mount Rushmore. So Sonny Rollins once told me, he says, Greg, when I play, I don't want to play the saxophone. I want the saxophone to play me. Wow. So it's like becoming one with your <clears throat> instrument and being like a channel yeah. through which all of this comes out. Yeah. But it takes so much. I mean, my goodness, the vessel, uh, I mean, the, the, the knowledge you have to have, the experience you have to have to be able to produce such incredible virtuosity where, where virtuosity be, literally becomes like an ancient virtue. I mean, yeah. virtues. You know? Well, we, you know, in mysticism, we talk about the subject-object collapse. That is where the, the person, I, doing the thing, I'm skiing down the hill, I'm gardening, I'm right. playing the sax. Right. Uh, it stops being me doing that thing, and right. that thing and me being done. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, that's, and this is that's, not happenstance. I mean, Sonny Rollins, he, he went to Japan, he went to India, I mean, he... he he, he, he studied Buddhism. He meditates. I mean, so this is not a mistake, yeah. you know, him saying something like that. Yeah. You know, this happened on these things. So, uh, Joe Pass, my God, uh, that's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Now, the next cut we're going to hear is the Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet featuring Sonny Rollins. Um, it's a song called uh, Gertrude's. What does it say? There? Gertrude's bounce. Right, Gertrude's bounce, right. You know, when you talk about the blues, you, you stomp the blues, you bounce over the blues, you, you rock the blues, you know. Now, this is a very upbeat song. Clifford Brown on trumpet, uh, Max Roach on drums, and uh, Sonny Rollins on tenor sax. Uh, Joe Pass, I meant to say this, was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey. He was raised in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Clifford Brown, born in Wilmington, Delaware. Max Roach in North Carolina. But he lived in Brooklyn during the bebop revolution that he was central to. And Sonny Rollins was born in New York to parents from the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I, I want to play this song because it's one of the great quintets in the history of the music. It's during a period where the song called Hard Bop was prominent, and, and the Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet was uh, preeminent for that particular approach. Uh, and I'm also playing it because the next and last song that we're going to hear is of three trumpet players of today, uh, Winston Marsalis, Nicholas Payton, and Roy Hargrove, each of whom in their own way was profoundly influenced by not only Louis Armstrong, Dizzy Gillespie, but by Clifford Brown. Uh, so why don't we hear... Gertrude's Bounce by the Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet featuring Sonny Rollins. Here we go. Clifford Brown on trumpet. 
I mean, I, I, I get uh, really activated by this music and also irritated, I, I have to say, in a certain way. that, And I say that in a positive way. I'm looking at it because I'm, I'm thinking of this is the kind of music through my life that's kind of I have had almost no access to, has been an irritation. I, I can't sing it in the shower. I can't even tap my foot. So I don't even know what you know what's going on now. Listening to it with you, with you know what we've been doing, and with you mm-hmm. narrating and helping, I I feel like for the first time, I'm getting some of the juice of it. Mm-hmm. But it, this this one's a stretch for me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And you know that tension you're talking about, that the irritation. I mean, first of all, art does that. Of course. Uh, I mean, art is not just something that uh, goes with it's what you are. It's not always pretty. Art, in large part, makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> Beautiful is and not always how pretty. Gonna be, how is it going to be growth without some discomfort? Yeah. You know what I mean? In, in part, that's, that's one of the, the, the roles or the functions of such a tension. But when you can break through that tension, through understanding, through exposure, uh, and, and getting a, a frame, a context for it. I mean, that's what I've been trying to provide is a context and a frame through which to understand this this great musical idiom yeah. that, that we call jazz and some of its development as it relates to uh, an integral uh, evolutionary model so that you can not only understand it intellectually, but you could also feel it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a perfect example of that was when uh, we were listening and you pointed out, I was just about at the point where I was like losing, um, sort of, I was losing it. 
you know, mm-hmm. in terms of I wasn't no, I wasn't knowing what I was listening to anymore. It mm-hmm. became noise. And then you said, "Here's somebody on drums." I forget who the name. Max Roach, right? Yeah, Max, Max Roach. Roach. All right. So then the, the 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 drum solo came on, and thank God you said that because then I could I I, I got grounded and I was mm-hmm. able to actually experience it. Is this is a man playing the drums? Mm-hmm. And the virtuosity of what he was doing, right? Um, I was, I had access to, and right. but again, it wasn't anything I could tap my foot to. I, I had really no idea what he was doing or where we, he was going, right. but I was able to just appreciate and ride along with it right. in a way, in a not knowing way. Well, you know, that how was when- uh, it was a really great minute. Good. Now, you you know how when you when you see films of people listening to jazz or looking at jazz, sometimes the players or the you know they snap their fingers. Yeah, that's a way of actually participating in it. So when we were listening to that last song, uh, I could have, I could have, and perhaps should have said, okay, when they went, um, let's see. And then it stops. That's called a break. But actually, if we count it out, you can count it out pretty easy. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Uh-huh. Two, two, three, four. And then you you clap your hands or pat your feet or 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 uh, snap your fingers on the two and four. So when you do that, you can actually be a part of the music in a way where you can keep up with it rhythmically. Wow. And, and structurally, what they're doing is they, they play the melody, right? And then they take their improvisation. Right? And when they're improvising, they're improvising on the melody. Like you could hear, as you told me when we listened before to Joe Pass, you could still hear the melody. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes when they improvise, they're improvising not just on the melody, but the harmony. Or they're interacting with each other so that they're actually calling and responding to each other as in the midst of the solo. Wow. So all of that's going on at the same time. But if you're able to like pat your foot in the right place, you can kind of keep your way. Yeah. You know? And lastly, about Max Roach. I mean, well, Clifford Brown, I mean, total virtual so he had a very staccato way of playing but and he studied like a lot of great jazz artists studied classical music he would actually practice with violin books hmm. Clifford Brown okay mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, but he, he was staccato but it still swung so hard Max Roach he was a, a, a not only a rhythmic drummer he only didn't only keep time like a, that's one of the fundamental things you got to keep time but when he soloed, you could hear melodies, actually, when he soloed. That was one of the great innovations of Max Roach as a drummer. Now, this last composition we're going to go to, you'll hear certainly the influence of Clifford Brown and these trumpet players. And I mean, let me set the frame for this, because this yeah. kind of brings it, I think, all together. Cool. This is from a recording from the late 90s called Peyton's Place. Uh, Nicholas Payton, the trumpeter, he's from New Orleans, as is Wynton Marsalis, who, as probably the listeners know, um, probably of his generation is, not probably, he is, he's the most famous, you know, jazz musician of his generation in the world. Um, He's the head of Jazz at Lincoln Center as managing director and artistic director when he was 21. Uh, And this is when I, you know, I was in, in college at the time, he won a Grammy in both the jazz and classical categories. So he began, you know, by playing the classical trumpet repertoire and playing and going through his own apprenticeship with Art Blakey of of the great Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Uh, Then he started his own solo career, when I say solo, I mean as a leader. And uh, he's going through his own development. So by the time he's playing with Nicholas Payton, and Roy Hargrove, Roy Hargrove's from Waco, Texas, uh, he's the eldest statesman of, of this particular day, though he's still relatively young. I mean, he's, he's 54 now. Hmm. When, he, when this was recorded, uh, he would be, I guess, in his late 30s, like 39. The other guys, they're in their either 20s or early 30s. When they both, Nicholas Payton and Roy Hargrove, when they were both teenagers, went and heard them and 
and and and encourage them to keep going, you know, and contact me when you get to New York, that kind of thing. So you're gonna hear a song. It's called the Three Trumpeters. They're playing. They play the melody together. Great rhythm section of young players too. And Winton takes the first solo. To me, it's very cerebral. He plays a theme and then he repeats the theme. And so the th- it's a thematic means of improvisation. You'll be able to hear it. Then Nicholas Payton, whose recording it is, he comes in like a young buck. He's like, hey, I'm here. Step aside. <laughs> you know, and he's strutting and he's and he's bopping and he's and he's, you know, uh, he's he's making his statement. He said, yeah, I understand that. And I respect you, Mr. Marsalis. But check me out. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's and it's um, it, there's a swagger in the way he plays. And then Roy Hargrove comes in and he, and, and by the way, in, in Nicholas Payton's improvisation, there's a point where he does call and response with himself. I'll show you the level of virtuosity. You know, he, he plays a phrase up and then he plays a similar phrase down and he goes back and forth. So that's, that comes out of the blues, that call and response. So then Roy Hargrove comes in and says, hey guys, let's take this back to basics. And he plays some beautiful basic blues and melodic phrases, plays with dynamics, loud, soft, and then the three trade choruses. So they call it trading fours, where one plays with four bars or trading eight, eight bars, and then another one comes in, and then another one comes in. And then the rhythm section drops out, and they go back to New Orleans tradition of collective improvisation playing together, and then they take it out. So it's just a it's just a wonderful example, I think, of within a traditional jazz, a mainstream jazz framework of where jazz has come to. There's so much more that we could share, but I think that this will show the different elements that we've been building up to. Wow. Well, I'm excited to hear. Here we go. The Three Trumpeters, Nicholas Payton, Winton Marsalis, and Roy Hargrove. Back to basics. 
Clinton, here's where they start trading. Wow. I mean, how many times have I said wow in this conversation <laughs> is what I want to know. I'm going to count them. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. And that last ending, the, the, the piano going, bleep, that was a little allusion to Count Basie's because he had a bleep. Really? Bleep, yeah. Bleep, boom. Yeah. No, it it's just, I mean, I, I mean, that's part of the sort of American um, just sort of collective Feel. I mean, that little beep at the end. I mean, yeah, I do yeah, it. You know, even way, when I'm absolutely. singing in the shower, right? <laughs> I add that little beep at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean that. There's, that... So, there's so much more. I mean, there are oh, yes. great artists, like great singers, like Esperanza Spalding, who plays bass and sings at the same time. Incredible. Cecile McLaurin Salvant is a phenomenal young twenty-something that uh, you know we could listen to. John Batiste, great. A pianist from New Orleans who's now on the late, late Show with Colbert. He's the musical director. Aaron Deal, another great. He plays with Cecile. I mean, this, this jazz is, is alive and, and well. Wow. Well, it is just, um, you know, more to come. I mean, yes. we covered uh, 100 years here. Uh, or more. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, not bad in, in a couple hours. That's right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, Greg, thank you so much for, you know, just giving me and, and, and I hope our listeners a new appreciation of this really exciting art form that I myself had, you know, limited access to, as I've said. I mean, it's sort of that background wallpaper sound that I've heard all my life. I was never that attracted to it. I didn't really get it. Uh, and now to sit here, and as you know, we often say what integral helps us do, and, and, and analysis in general, cognitive analysis in general, yeah. is tease apart the, the pieces right. so that we can see these the components of what make this up, and that just allows us to penetrate in, and and you know be taken up by and lose ourselves within. Uh, have a subject-object collapse ourselves, where we become the music, even as we listen to it, you know, decades after it's been recorded. It's an amazing and wonderful gift. It, it sure is. It, it shows that, you know, when you're talking about quality, and this is one connection to, you know, European classical music, 
as a great art form, any great art form or great masterpiece work of art, it has an element of timelessness. Mm-hmm. It's not just bound by the time because if it can still reach you and touch you and be relevant to you right. today, then it's about how it touches you, yeah. how it reaches you, and, and not about it, you know, oh, that was in the 1920s, therefore it's right. old. No, it's That's, part of the the present moment, real-time human condition. It's, exactly. it's, it's all still there. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Again, and wow. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> I, I, so, I so appreciate you inviting me on to share uh, some of what I know and some of the treasures of this great art form we, we call jazz. I, I just, I, I really appreciate it. And I do hope, as you have said, that uh, the listeners appreciate it too. I'm sure they will. Well, thank you again, everybody, for listening. And thank you again so much, Greg Thomas, for sharing your gift with us. You're very welcome. All right.